This week's episode of Aussie Tech Ads is brought to you by Start New Company. Register your company immediately today with ASIC. ABN, TFN, GST registration is also available directly from the portal. Also set up your family trust and self-managed superannuation fund and more. All at startnewcompany.com.au. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash startnewco and keep an eye out for our regular specials. Start your new company now within 10 minutes of lodgement. All legal company documentation provided after registration. startnewcompany.com.au. Welcome to episode 675 <laughs> of the Aussie Tech Heads, recorded on the 30th of April 2020. I'm your host, Jason Oakley, and this is my co-host, Will Tomkinson. Hey, Will. Are we sure? I, I don't know at this point. I keep pointing to you over yeah. this way at the start of every show. because I, I should swap our cameras over somewhere in the right spot. No, that'll confuse <laughs> everybody even more. Ready. Have I, you updated the episode number? Well done. I did. I did. I remember that. Made skill. Sure, I cut the intro off, but you know, whatever. <laughs> How's stuff up your way? Um, weird. Weird. You're getting like 35 degree days and like one degree nights. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's it's not, not fun at the moment, I tell you. Mine's like 27 in the day and about 14 at night, so still not too cold. Yeah, at least I've got a, that, that's the swing that's the problem. Like, uh, it's just... You know, you, you got three blankets on when you wake up, and by nine o'clock you're sweating. <laughs> it's just so weird. I got wind. Don't need to know all your problems. <laughs> and some things you can keep secret. Well, it was today and a few days ago. We have like a massive, heavy amount of rain come through. Massive wind breezing through the house for like half an hour, and then gone. Sunny day, nice and sunny again. I'm like, what the hell was that? Where'd that go? Yeah, we had. Well, we were supposed to get storms today, and we had massive gale winds come through this afternoon. And then looked on the radar and saw the storm front coming through. And cool, it's going to rain. And then it just stopped. Where'd it go? <laughs> the rain. I was went looking away, forward to a really cool big electrical storm and everything. Yeah, it was all there I for it. The, I watched the lightning crack over cane fields and laugh and think, "This is Australia." <laughs> uh, no, I don't think that's the inflections on that song. <laughs> I need to watch um, Young Einstein now. Yes. <laughs> Emk. Emk. It makes beer have bubbles in it. That's it. And lets you play an electric violin. Yeah. <laughs> I've been watching a sort of sci-fi TV series called Travelers. Have you seen it? Uh, I haven't watched it. No, I've seen the, tra- the trailer. That's as far as I've got. Looks pretty good, even if they canned it after three seasons. But mm. that's what I was watching before the show. And you're like, show starting. I was like, but, but, all right, I'll come back to But each last couple of nights, I watched it like four episodes a couple of weeks ago and then 
had all these stuff went to crap around my life. And then last night I thought, oh, I don't want to do programming of my Spectrum game. So I'll just go and watch the Travelers again. I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This and then that and then this. And like, yeah, this is a really good show again. And I ended up watching it last night till like half past 11 at night. I'm like, I need to go to bed at 10 from now on. So I wake up, refer- no, half past 11. I'm like, oh, I don't want to turn it off now because they just did the thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's weird how they've been canning shows. That are even really they popular. said Netflix is like this was one of our most watched series for like two or three years, and then they're like, "Nah, we don't want it anymore." Yeah, I know. I don't. You know, as I said, there's been a few like that. Alcatraz was a classic one for that. It was really yep. good. It was the high, most highly watched show on TV at the at the time, and then they went, "Oh, the Olympics are on. Let's put on hiatus." Oh, there's no way watching it now. And this is Netflix, <laughs> so it's not like you're waiting for a TV time slot that it's coinciding with, like yeah. The, the superb owl or something like that that everyone's going to watch. Super, I think they, don't have to, <laughs> they don't have to worry about ratings collisions with other shows or the new episode of The Simpsons where someone went gay or something. No, it's I know like, it's just it's I don't understand what they and it's not you can't tell me they don't have the money. I mean they just paid stupid amounts of money for you know Grand Tour and a few other shows like yeah, it's not the money. I just watched that episode where the guy gets run over by the garbage truck. That was good. <laughs> so, yeah, so they have people in the future where the world's gone to crap and they need to go back in time to fix things, but they can't send a body back. So they just send your mind back into the body of someone who's about to die. So you stop them from dying, but you become them and you take over their body and now you've got a mission to try and save the world. That sounds like body snatchers. Is it? I haven't seen that one. And cross between sliders and body. It's body body sliders. Body sliders. <laughs> I think I paid a lot of money for that once. It was when I lived there. So, what are we talking about this than, week in technology, Mister T? Better than the other option. <laughs> Sleep. No. Anyway. Um. <laughs> so yeah. So. Yeah. So what I was saying, I was working on a um, game using this system called the multi-platform arcade designer. MPAGD, and I did a little platform with this guy called Corey Coolbrew, which is a really cool name because I thought they got, um, what is it that that game is really popular on the iPad and stuff? I can't remember what it was, but the, the lead hero is Barry Steak Fries. <laughs> and it's made, made by an Australian company. I thought, I need something nice like that because I had this guy called Benny. I was like, Benny doesn't sound cool. Benny sounds like a dumb name. So I thought, Corey, yeah, Corey's like a cool name. But he needs a, a nice surname as well. So I had Cold Brew. And then one time I accidentally typed Cool Brew. And I thought, yeah, Cool Brew sounds like a good name. Corey Cool Brew. <laughs> That's my main character. And he's in a platformer where he's got to escape from the robot laboratory. And these robots come after him. He has to jump over them and collect all the microchips. And he gets extra life after a certain number of those. And each level you have to get the key that opens the door to the next level through. And... I've got a little bit of kind of AI-ish with some of the robots that will actually home in on you and come after you and stuff like that for later levels. So really enjoy programming it. And you do it, all the design, there's a, um, you can either design it actually on the Spectrum computer or emulator if you prefer, or uh, they've got a Windows one, which is the GD. And um, the Windows one, you just, just all click, draw, draw your sprites in there, draw the blocks for the backgrounds. 
paint them in and then you say, okay, I want the main character to be a platform character. So it writes all the code for that for you. You don't have to do anything at all when it comes to that. <coughs> and then, um, or you want to say, oh, I want it to be a shooter one. So you select this main character is going to be a spaceship shooter. So it does all the programming for that. And then you just say, okay, this is an enemy. I want him to animate like this. And I want it to have the behavior of a horizontal patrol character. So it just goes back and forward along platforms. So it does that automatically writes the code for you that if you touch the enemy that you'll die, you can have a laser shooting automatically worked out for you. It's done by a guy called John Caldwell, who um, 40 years ago used to write games in assembly for uh, Spectrum, and he sold them and worked for companies and stuff. And um, he's done like 50 of them now, and then he thought, oh, I should do something like this so that other people can make games, but a lot easier than I had to over the years. And you can see there, you just select, is this a ladder block, fodder block, deadly block, water block, collectible block? And it does all this stuff for you, but it's all in assembly in the back end. So you don't have to write any of that. He's got a type of basic language that you can use to change behaviors of things or edit things and stuff like that. But uh, when you hit compile, it just makes it all in assembly for you. So it runs very efficiently fast, but the reason it's a multi-platform arcade game developer is you can just say, I want to ex export this to Spectrum. So it makes a Spectrum game file that you can put on, say, Itch.io, and people can download it there and pay you money or whatever. But you can also go, bang, I want this to run on the Amstrad. And it makes the code for that will work on an Amstrad for you. And then say you want, oh, I want this to work on a Dragon computer or BBC Micro or VZ. 200, which is what I helped them port this to over the last few months, doing VZ code um, and all these other platforms. There's probably about nearly a dozen platforms now, and you just design it for the one, and it can just export the code out to all the different platforms for you. There's some that need minor changes because they've got different capabilities for graphics. Some of them got better graphics, so you can do multicolor sprites and stuff like that. And like the VZ has got super, super low res graphics. So I had to help him convert it to like a mini version of the program. But once you've written it once and you just say the behavior of that X is going to be a bouncing nasty. So it makes a code that he just bounces around the screen and he might bump into you. So you've got to dodge him. Or that blue one is a collectible sprite. So when your main sprite, the square one, touches it, the blue one starts spinning around you like a shield automatically, and he's written all the code for that. So everything is just already done for you. You can see there's a button down the bottom of the screen that says generate scripts. So that generates all the programming for you, so you don't have to do anything. But the scripts that it writes is in this basic type language and um, makes it very easy to understand for just about anyone can make the games, but they compile down to assembly language, so it's really fast and runs like a normal game. Cool. Sounds, um, it's definitely, you know, a whole different process than what it used to be. Yeah. You and know. I love that it's on Windows, but it's, uh, he wrote the advanced game designer for Spectrum, which is where it started off. And then uh, there's another guy, uh, Alan, I can't remember his last name. He's written 
AGDX, which is like the extended version of that that a lot of people use for the Spectrum now, and it's he's added in like double the amount of um, functionality. So he's added in extra stuff that the basic one doesn't come with, and he's gone off in his own um, port of that for the Spectrum with extra capabilities. But, yeah, the multi-platform one, you've got like 12 different 8-bit computers that you can uh, just hit export and make your game for all of them. So there's a guy I follow on Twitter has made a game called Magenta Jim. There's a guy, Jim Blimey, who's been heavily involved with making the Spectrum Next and was really involved with the Spectrums back in the 80s and stuff. And so this guy made a game based on him, called it Magenta Jim, because the character in the game is magenta coloured. <laughs> and he released that for Spectrum last week. And now he's working on the, I think it's the BBC micro version. <coughs> but they don't have um, magenta, so this one's called White Willy. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's like Magenta Jim and the Coins of Doom. And they've got these coins around a maze with these um, spaceships going around. You have to dodge them and collect all the coins in the different mazes for all the levels. Quite fun. Yeah. What? Bing bong. Why is that a thing? Avon's calling. Yeah, that was interesting. Not sure why I plugged an external USB cable and it's plugged into a power supply over there. <laughs> then my computer decided, hey, I'm connecting it to the computer. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, don't want you to do <laughs> that. I'm, I'm really not. If I want you to do that, I'll ask you to do it. <laughs> oh, dear, the joys of technology. We love it. No. Love it. <laughs> Wait, no. <laughs> Should we do some news about stuff? Then? Oh, I suppose they'll scared off all our listeners, so let's do some important stuff. Yeah. The uh, premium video on demand release of Universal Pictures animated movie Trolls World Tour has triggered a feud between the studio and AMC, the largest owner of theatre chains worldwide. In the span of a day, the disagreement escalated from a single quote from NBC Universal CEO Jeff Schell to AMC declaring it will refuse to screen any major upcoming Universal movie releases. So, what the heck happened here? There's some important context. With the rise of video streaming services and other entertainment options, movie theatres are facing an ongoing battle to continue attracting audiences. A crucial factor in that battle is exclusivity. When Avengers Endgame was released in theatres, it was the only place a movie could be seen until its home video release a little over three months later. The theatre chains are very protective of theatre release windows, which are traditionally a minimum of 90 days. When Netflix attended to negotiate a theatrical release window of just 45 days for Martin Scorsese's The Irishman last year, AMC and Cineplex instead opted not to show the movie at all. That'll teach them. Hmm. The Trolls World Tour experiment was a huge success with the movie gracing almost $100 million in rentals within three weeks of its video on-demand release, amounting to $77 million in revenue for Universal. This is because Universal retains 80% of rental fees for the video on demand releases in contrast to the roughly 50% take from traditional box office ticket sales. In response to the success, Jeff Shell told the Wall Street Journal, the results for Trolls World Tour have exceeded our expectations and demonstrated the viability of video on demand. When the trouble with AMC really began, however, was in the second half of his quote, as soon as theatres reopen, we expect to release both release movies on both formats. AMC responded, it's disappointing to us, but Jeff's comments as to Universal's unilateral actions and intentions have left us with no choice. 
Therefore, effectively, immediately, AMC will no longer play any Universal movies in any of our theatres in the United States, Europe, or the Middle East. The policy affects any and all Universal movies, per se, goes into effect today, and as our theatres reopen, and is not some hollow or ill-considered threat. Incidentally, this policy is not aimed solely at Universal out of peak or to be punitive anyway. It also extends to any movie maker who unilaterally abandons the current windowing practices, absent good faith negotiation between them, so that the distributor and we as exhibitor both benefit and neither are hurt from such changes. So in other words, people want to watch it at home on their big TVs and don't want to bother going lining up and then sitting in a stinky theater with a bunch of people talking on their phones and noisy kids and stuff no. to have their expensive cold popcorn but I, and it, they can do it all at home not necessarily i mean there's a lot of movies yeah okay a lot of movies i watch at home because i'd watch them at home but the thing is i watch a movie at home i go okay that's a really good movie i'm gonna go see that at the cinema now you know because it was that good that you want to see it on big screen and get all the detail that you didn't get on the smaller screen. Yeah. So all they're doing is saying, well, we don't want your revenue from the people who are going to come see your movie. Yeah. So we're just not going to show your movies at all and have no other option because everybody's going to follow suit. So we're just going to basically send ourselves broke to spite you. Right. <laughs> Here's my foot. Here's my gun. Yeah. I don't understand. Good work, AMC. Yeah. Awesome. Because, like, obviously, they've proven this to be a viable tactic. So, I mean, every other movie company is going to do the same thing. And it's not like they can say, well, we'll stop. What? How can... You're the guys with the content that we desperately need. Yeah. We can't do anything ourselves without you, so we're going to get rid of you and not have your content and not collect money. 50%. That they were getting was better than nothing, but now they would get zero percent, and Universal keeps eighty instead of fifty. Where's yeah. Universal oh, no. going to cry? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh no! The, please don't let us take an extra thirty percent of our takings instead of giving it to you. The viewer count's going to go up. Their their per movie price. I mean, they can charge. The thing is, they're taking eighty percent now, so they can charge what forty percent less. Yeah, than the cinema was profit. charging, and make more money from it. <laughs> Hello? Can anybody say, you know, Netflix? It's the whole thing with... And this is my point I've been making for years about torrenting a movie. If you torrent a movie that's just come out and it's a good movie, you're still going to go and watch it. So why can't I pay $2 to watch it on my TV and then go and pay $6 or $10 to go and watch it at the cinema because it's a really good movie? No, they don't want your money, son. (laughs) So messed up. It's just, it, it's, I mean, well, look what, it, it's going to be ending up like what happened with the drive-ins. Yep. The drive-ins up their prices, they crack down on having 14 people in the car when you're only paying for three. You know, they... That they, showed those people who were coming here to give us money, didn't it? Yeah, and that's exactly what they did. They put themselves out of business. They blamed indoor cinema, but the thing is, indoor cinema was around before drive-ins. Yeah. Um... And the the experience of a drive-in, which is going there with other people, having a tailgate party, having the barbecue on the back, having your mates around watching a movie while you, you know, go to your go to the concession. That's the good thing about having a hatchback. You reverse it up, and then everyone sits in the back of the hatchback. Got your popcorn in there. You can take a mattress or whatever. That that, then that's that's what it's supposed to be. 
but they started cracking down, saying you can't bring your own food in, you can't bring other people, you know, if you've got, fo- you can't have people in the boot and all that sort of stuff. You know, like I, I mean, what's up with that? That was the whole fun point of yeah, it. I kind of get that, but the thing is, you, you're not allowed to. Yeah, you're not allowed to. Like now, although at least the driving up here, you're not allowed to back up. So you got to drive in. You can't reverse in, even if you have got a wagon. Ah. Um, you know, you're not allowed. Well, to bring in Newcastle, own- I went to. We were allowed to back up to the screen. Yeah, I mean that's what you should be able to do. Um, you know, bring your own food, bring, you know, mates around, do whatever you want, you know, and now they don't even have the speakers anymore. You got to have your own radio on. And so, but I like the experience of having that crappy little speaker. Like it just helped. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I still had the radio on, but it also meant that I could, you know, have my own speaker. Yeah. You know, this it's, it's the experience and it's the same as going to the cinema. It's the experience of going to the cinema. It's buying, not so much now, I'll go back. 15 years you know you buy your chalk top you buy your popcorn you know you buy your coke you sit down you jaffers you know, to roll down the aisle maltesers jaffers you know but that, that was the thing that's what you would do and you do the same thing every time you went there and you'd watch a movie in between like you just happened to be there to do other stuff and the movie just happened to be on yeah you know if you got if you know that was the thing but now they're just so like even gold class or one of the gold class cinemas up here I used to love going to a gold class because it wasn't that much dearer than going to the regular. Um, and people regular bring cinema. you wine, and you used to get food, you used to get wine, you used to get all this other stuff. Yeah, but you don't. At this particular one I went to, they've stopped doing all that. You can't eat ah. in the cinema now, which means you can. <laughs> What's order, the point? You can order a meal, but you can only eat it outside of the cinema. It's like, hang on, I'm not paying forty seven dollars for a mini pizza to eat outside of the movie. <laughs> I'm paying you that $47 for the mini pizza because I want to eat it during the movie and yeah. recline in my chair, which some of them don't do anymore. And it's like, but that, <sighs> you know, so it's going to be the death of the cinema, basically, and it's going to be their own fault and nobody's going to feel sad about it, I don't think. But what will happen... just going to whinge about everybody else's fault. Woe is me. How could but this happen If you me? look at the resurgence that's happening with drive-in theatres, there's actually drive-in theatres opening up again. Like They're actually actively opening some of them up. And I think the same thing will happen with cinema. You'll get... You're always going to have your niche, small country cin- cinemas. I don't think they're going to go anywhere because... Yep. Take Rocky Horror Picture Show, for example. It has literally played somewhere in the world every day since this release. Yep. You know, so, and certain cinemas have midnight showings and they have the, you know, they give you the rice. We and had the audience the participation. Yeah. I went to it in Sydney. That was fantastic. I, all of you Rocky here, all you Rocky horror virgins, you have to stand up and do a dance with us. Yep. It's mandatory. I've not seen you here before. Come on, stand up. <laughs> yep. It's great. You, you know, I, just to jump to the left. I used to go to the one in Melbourne. I, I was there often and you'd get rice, you'd get. Take your cigarette lighter in for the thing, which I don't let you do anymore. I get that. So uh, you use a torch now. But they have, um, you know, newspaper and they have all sorts. Of, it's, it's a great experience. The thing is that that, that part of the theatre, well, the, the, the theatre part of the cinema will never disappear. Yeah. Um, so there'll always be niche cinemas and there'll always be, you know, that sort of thing. The theatre experience. Maybe not but the mega multiplexes. I think they're going to disappear. You're going to go back to the old, old days where you had one or two, um, you had one or two cinemas in a complex rather than eight or ten or twelve. I mean, I remember when the Hyperdome, Logan Home Hyperdome opened up here. They had an eight 
cinema complex. Yep. And everyone thought they were mad. Like People were like, there's not even eight movies being released at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Which was true at that point. There wasn't, but they always had... I remember going and seeing... Um, I think on my cinema, I was, on my screen, I was watching like Mighty Ducks. And then they yep. had like a rerun of, um, you know... Uh, top Gear, top. No, they had a. Okay, but it was an older movie. Like, so you could go and see. They'd, they'd get the kids to go and see the newer ones, and then the the parents would go off and watch, you know, an older movie that they were playing ah, right, in yes. a different one. Yeah, but that soon changed. Obviously, it got to the point where there was enough movies out, and then some of the ones in Melbourne, there's twelve, fourteen, sixteen cinemas in the one complex. You know. And when we were in Melbourne, we preferred to go to Yarrow. They had the Sun Theatre, which was a ye oldie style mm. everything in it. Yep. You got your popcorn in a brown paper bag like you would have 40 years ago. Yep. And they had the old style seats, but they were comfy versions of the old style seats. And everybody just liked it because the atmosphere was like going back in time That's nearly. Right to the old cinemas. And we're like, we got these mega multiplexes and gold class and stuff. And even my daughter was like, can we just go to the Yarrison Theatre? I love it there. It's mm. so nice. There are several there that are like, it's an older town, so there are several that are like that. Brisbane's got a couple. And I, I, I prefer the older ones. I, they have heritage. They have feel. They're, they're not, and they actually don't work super well with brand new movies because they don't have the screen intensity because they're not using digital projectors they don't have the digital speaker systems and the 400 speakers that the newer cinemas have got. They've got a couple behind the screen and a couple behind you, you know, like it's just an entirely different, entirely different thing. But I think that's going to be what's happened. If they just keep saying, look, we're not going to play your movies because we don't like the way you're handling your own business that we rely on. Um, Bye -bye AMC. Yeah. I think they're basically going to disappear and then the movie theaters will be reopened as, what they were, which was a service to the community, rather than you know making them think that they're the they're there, you know they have to be there. They don't yeah. have to be there. People only want them there because they're a source of entertainment, and I think they forget that. You know, you used to be able to go and you go to the arcade. You'd rock up an hour before the movie. You'd go and play, you know, Daytona or something. You know, you you just chill out out the front and hang around for half an hour before your air movie's going to start. Air hockey, you know, all that sort of stuff, but that's all disappearing now. So many of them don't have any of that. You literally, you walk in to a ticket counter, then you go up an escalator and you get overpriced food and that's it. There's nothing else there. And it's like, well, okay, now I've just got to sit here for an hour and wait for my movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so, bloody ridiculous, mate. But yeah, anyway, um, next, wow, well, I was trying to think what I should, I got, okay. So just quickly, um, Services Australia says not prudent for MyGov to handle three million concurrent users. Surge <laughs> capacity. No, it was hackers. It's always hackers, Mister <laughs> T. I don't think you were listening to the government announcement about know. that. Hackers get into <clears throat> everything. And I just love the way the government. I love the way this article starts. Newly installed CEO of Services Australia. <laughs> it's like they just updated and put a new patch in there or something. <laughs> Newly installed CEO of Services Australia, Rebecca Skinner. Uh, told the Senate Select Committee on COVID-19 on Thursday that MyGov needed more capacity uh, when it mel melted down under the weight of 3 million users on March 23, but it isn't prudent to anticipate a one-off event. No, we they needed more capacity 10 years ago. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
That's what, exactly right. They needed it 10 years ago. They should when have... I was unemployed, <laughs> me and my girlfriend tried on 140 NBN connection to the house to get onto their website. Didn't work. Rang them up, sat on hold for two hours, gave up, went into there, and it was timing out inside their office. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, that's always been hopeless. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, yeah, uh, what we do know is we need a larger capacity of MyGov, but it's probably right to say you wouldn't design a computer system to cope with 3 million logins at one time when the business as usual proposition is about 90,000. The cost of building a system that could cope with that one day wouldn't really be a balance of investment. What we do know is that probably needed to ramp it up quickly, Wow, which we did, but at the end of the week, MyGov platform was sustainably was substantially more stable. Substantially. Substantial. Oh yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. I'm done. I'm going home. Uh, and able to cope with larger numbers of logins. Return to the point later in the hearing. Skinner said, "My gov should have Skinner said my gov should have been able to cope better, <laughs> but the system has handled loads much better since, and now can cope with three hundred thousand concurrent logins." Um, How many do they need? Technically, <laughs> I bet you it doesn't. They need three million, <laughs> so they've amped it up to three hundred thousand. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's that's, that's fine. <laughs> Under questioning from Labor Senator Murray Watt, Skinner said Services Australia had not advised its ministers that a DDoS attack had occurred. Due to influx of services, received a number of distributed denial service alerts, which led to Minister for Government Services Stuart Robert blaming MyGov's inability to cope on a DDoS attack. <laughs> there we go. Had to be in there somewhere. <laughs> had to be in there somewhere. What even is computer? Uh, no. And on that, um, just quickly too, we're talking about um, uh, there's uh, too many too many stories. So there's Home Affairs says Australia is likely next to sign Cloud Act agreement with the US. Development of the pending international production order bill is an important legislative reform as Australia moves forward to a bilateral Cloud Act agreement with the United States. The Department of Home Affairs said Australia is likely to be, uh, to be the next qualifying foreign government to enter into an agreement. Australia announced its commitment of a commencement of formal negotiations for a bilateral agreement pursuit for the Cloud Act. The Cloud Act creates a legal framework regulating how law enforcement can access data across borders. If the agreement is finalised and approved, service providers in Australia and US would be able to respond to lawful orders from other countries to access electrical evidence. Now, I thought you would like that one. Keep that in mind that we just talked about the MyGov app, which is hosted where? On Amazon Cloud. Mm-hmm. The new government's COVID tracking app, which is hosted where? On Amazon Cloud. Where's Amazon Cloud hosted? The US. So now what it basically means is that the American government has access to all the information that the Australian government has access to. And that'll make things better, right? Oh, that'll definitely help. No no bad news could come of that at all. In case Remember you didn't when the something. tier three ISPs in the US found out that the government had been putting servers to in the middle of their pipelines to record stuff at like Yahoo and stuff, so they went and encrypted all their data between the servers so the government couldn't do that no more. But Australia is like, please have access to all our data. Everybody, we would love you to read all of our stuff. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, the 
The neat part about they lose it, contracts with companies because there are a lot of companies that can't have data going to American servers or other country servers because no. it has to stay in the country. And the thing is, too, like um, most government, you know, Amazon servers are used worldwide, not just I mean. Many, many, many governments, businesses, whatever, use Amazon Cloud. Like it's just because it's so well developed. Even but, Apple was. Yeah, but what it means is now that so many, not just Australian government, but so many major corporations, like okay, for let's say they're. A, Let's say they're medical. Okay, well, all your medical records are going to be on there. But say it's a private medical contractor. Um, it's like you've got private data that you need to be wary of. Obviously, you know, with with customers and stuff like that, or or pick another field like security. Like you're a tech security expert, and you've got customers where security is paramount. What are your options? I mean, Amazon. I mean, technically, they have Australian servers, but they're an American company, therefore, they're under this agreement. Um, but uh, that doesn't matter where they host it. They could be hosted in Singapore or Germany or whatever, but they're still bound by this agreement, so the access is still there. Do these companies now have to fork out thousands of dollars for their own servers? I mean, there's, there's not too many options. I mean, I don't know, Microsoft has a has a service similar Azure. to Amazon, but it's exactly the same, being American based, it's it's no more secure. So what are the options now? Like <laughs> do they have to just you know You know where you have to store the data on the Pirate Bay torrent service. <laughs> That's it, exactly. <laughs> but it, this this is where the, this is where it com- becomes a problem because anything that's on Wikipedia, anything that's on archive.org, that is all, as far as I'm aware, at least for the most part, on American Either American companies own it or run it or manage it or they're hosted in America. Yeah. So any of those will be holding to the American government. Yeah. And that also applies to any um obviously any other country that deals with this agreement as well. Which there are, you know, they they're looking it's the whole UN thing all over again. They're looking at multiple locations for this. Yeah. Um it's really bad news for <laughs> for a lot of I mean I guess major company is not a huge deal if you're a big corporation you could probably start your own or probably already have your own server in here but small to mid-sized companies where they're using that for for data storage and processing um, database processing that sort of stuff it's not an easy thing to replace yeah and this is the other thing too just quickly touching on my last sort of COVID sort of thing um both Google and Apple have both come out and said, yes, we have the tracking apps available um, by Google and by Apple, uh, even though apparently they're not good enough for the Australian or the UK government because they've created their own. But they've said <laughs> definitely 100% once the World Health Organization has said that uh, the, the thing's over, we will shut them down, data will be deleted, that's it, end of, end of story. Neither the, neither the, well, I kind of believe them because there's a whole heap of useless data they can't do a lot with. So I, I kind of believe that they're going to do that. 
at least they've publicly said that that's what they're going to do. So at least they are making some sort of effort. Whereas the UK and the Australian government, nope. They haven't said anything about that. And there's actually a, um, let's see if I can find this. Security exports weren't, weren't? They weren't, they weren't. They weren't. (sighs) Security experts warn, uh, don't let contact tracing apps lead to surveillance. A joint letter by over 170 of the UK's top researchers and scientists voices privacy and security concerns over mission creep on government plans for using smartphones to trace. More than 170 UK researchers um, have signed a joint statement over the concerns to help contain the coronavirus outbreak, warning that the government must not create a tool that could be used for the purposes of surveillance. Because, <laughs> heaven forbid, they would be on to spy on you. The letter signed by some of the top academics in cybersecurity at some of the most prestigious universities in countries urges that any digital solution for helping the fight against COVID-19 should be analysed by security and privacy specialists. It comes after the NHS and government reject a joint approach put forward by Google and Apple to help trace the spread of the virus instead of choosing to develop a separate tool for the UK and also Australia, uh, which isn't mentioned in here because this is a UK article, but the principle is the same. However, the centralised approach on, to building an application to monitor contact tracing with the aid of Bluetooth technology has been met with concerns over privacy and, and medical confidentiality. Uh de-anonymized information for people diagnosed with coronavirus as well as anyone that come in contact to, being stored in a central database, potential ability, mission creep, turned to a form of surveillance, etc., etc. Um, and no, I'm not installing this app on my phone. <laughs> just not going to happen. Me but neither. <laughs> I did install it on the work phone just because literally the work phone stays at work. Like it doesn't, on the odd occasion, I'll take it out on a job or something with me, but it basically stays at work. Yeah. But, I have a, because it's a rooted phone, I have a, um, it runs through a script when it installs a program, it tells me exactly what the program does. So this small program that sits on the phone memory doesn't require any access to anything except Bluetooth for tracking purposes and I'm guessing data access to report that. It loves to have access to my SD card, my camera, my microphone, my Wi-Fi and Bluetooth, my GPS, which I get. Okay, I understand the GPS. Uh, it uses... Um, it has access to the root partition in the drive. Um, it... What else did it come across? A couple other things. Uh, it has a... Um, Activity monitor, so it knows when you're watching, when your screen's turned on and when you're using your phone as opposed to when it's turned off. And there's a couple other things I noticed on when I installed it as well. Ah, so why does it need access to all these things, Mr. Mm, T? So for a program that just uses Bluetooth to figure out how close you are to somebody, which in itself doesn't make any sense because Bluetooth either works or it doesn't. It doesn't have a signal strength, I guess. I mean, I guess you could ping a device, but it's... It's only got a 10-meter range anyway, so you're not going to know how close you were to somebody, but I guess you could say you're closer than 10 meters, I guess. Yep. So, okay, yes, Bluetooth, I understand. Uh, Wi-Fi for accessing network, yes. 3G for accessing data, yes. And GPS for location, yes, I get those. Fine, but I don't have a problem with any of those. because Microphone? Microphone, camera, SD card, <laughs> root, pe- root partition access. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I, I clearly trust this government application to do exactly what it says it's going to do. <laughs> so, 
<clears throat> I saw somebody on Twitter earlier tonight was doing a survey poll of how many people have installed it out of, I think it was 155 people. It's like 82% said no. Yeah. Well, none of the politicians are having it put it on. Now, why do you think that is, Mr. T? Pauline Hanson, it was funny, two nights ago, she was on, no, on, she was on with Carl Stefanovic or one of those people she hates. Yeah. And they said, oh, you're installing it. She said, absolutely, I'd. I absolutely am not installing this app. There is no way known I trust the government with any of my data. It's bad enough I have to give them information without letting them see information I don't want to give them. <laughs> she went off. She's like, there is no way known <laughs> that I'm using that. Oh, man, it was so funny. And he's like, oh, but don't you think it's the right thing to do? She goes, no. Nope. Since when does the government do the right thing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she just went. It was so funny. So then saying, Paul, I think it was Carl or whoever she's interviewing, she's sitting going, um, this isn't going the way I expected it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ah, the company responsible deploying the National Broadband Network across Australia has announced it would extend its CVC boost to retailers until the end of July. In mid-March, NBN said as a response to coronavirus pandemic that ISPs would be able to increase the amount of capacity they purchased by 40% at no additional charge. Calculations on capacity usage relied on data from February as baseline. A week later, NBN said in late March it was giving its regular satellite users a 45 gig boost. NBN then on Thursday said it would extend that offer until the end of July. We're extending these offers by another two billion two billing periods because we know how crucial it is for the nation to have access to reliable and fast broadband service. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah. Hang on. Now? Mr. T, can you get in here for a second? We're going to let you, for two more months, we're going to let you have reliable and fast internet. After that, no more reliable internet, no more fast internet. Is that what they're saying? I think so. And it was interesting too. And they said, oh, the reason we've come to this conclusion is because there wasn't as much usage in, in April as we expected. So we've got more provision for more data. It was in a different article I was reading. <laughs> So apparently they're on like, they think their own data's capped or something. <laughs> uh, NBN also highlighted its network usage statistics, which showed peak throughput had eased off since the second week of April. Yeah, there we go. Peak, peak downstream <laughs> throughput across measurements made by NBN for three time periods, business hours from 8am to 5pm, early evening hours from 5pm to 8pm, and evening busy hours from 8pm to 11pm, trended downward in recent weeks. The company experienced its busiest traffic day on April 8, which coincided with an update to Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's people working from home, luckily. <laughs> Post 8 p.m. speeds topped out at 13.8 terabits per second. Peak early evening traffic was 13.3, and peak business hour throughput was 11.6 terabits. Bits per second. During the April 6 to April 12 week, post 8 p.m. peak upstream output was 38% higher at 1.06. These metrics show that while broadband use has significantly increased during this pandemic, we've also seen network demand settle into a new range where usage remains at higher levels throughout the day compared to the pre-COVID baseline. We're seeing increased demand for higher speeds. Hang on, they said nobody wants higher speeds and we're <laughs> going to get rid of them all. Yeah, nobody wants it. Or high, yes, or high data. As customers reassess their demands during social isolation and make sure they have broadband service to support it. So I think the, I think the move by NBN Co. shows great leadership in helping to provide certainty to telcos to their customers, he added. This is Brit. 
In a time of crisis, certainty is invaluable. The rest of the time, don't be certain your internet's even going to work. The network has been accommodating increased traffic for 5 or 6% in recent days. Yep. <laughs> They're really struggling to fulfill that backlog. <laughs> <Like>. <sighs> Uh, yep. Good old just NBN. Just got a laugh, done ya. Oh, it's not. Uh, the uh, NBN has experienced managing periods of high traffic, particularly during school holidays, and in place processes to utilise latent capacity. That's that's not even the thing. Has in place processes to utilise latent capacity. What does that Why mean? Why do they when have the, that? When the network slows down, they increase your latency. <laughs> Just make everything buffer that little bit more? What? That's not even a thing. I think they mean like spare capacity that's not usually been used. Uh, Different type of latent. <laughs> no, no. I think the first one's right. Yes. <laughs> sounds more like it here, doesn't it? Uh, so, yeah. NBN Co. has been under pressure from some qu- some quarters of the industry to shield RSPs from an anticipated rise in the cost of supplying internet services as more people stay at home. Mobile infrastructure operators have already acted with extra quota. <laughs> and it appears they've been able to handle it fine, and the same in the US where they've removed some caps and suddenly the whole network hasn't shut itself, but people are getting faster, more stable internet without increased prices, and it's working fine. Yeah, funny that. So all that time they've been saying, oh, no, if we gave you more capacity, that our internet company would just go down the drain because... We just couldn't handle it. Now it's like, oh, there's a pandemic. Oh, we can handle it. Oh, don't tell anyone because once it's over, we're going to start charging you and capping everything back down again. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Profit. So, <clears throat> um, all right, you got another one? Or... Yeah. Morris Blackburn Lawyers has launched a class action lawsuit against Optus after they mistakenly published the details of 50,000 customers. The data breach occurred when Optus published the names, home addresses, mobile and home phone numbers of customers in the white pages. As a result, they now face a payout figure of $40 million or more should judgment in the class action go against them. This cost is specific to the class action. Other costs could also include associated fines with reportable data breaches. Optus immediately requested the information be removed from the white pages online and notified affected customers. The company is working cooperatively with the Privacy Commission. At this point, the known details are 50,000 or so customer details were mistakenly published, which makes this one of Australia's biggest data breaches. It is also believed to be the first of its kind action against Telco, and the brief breach was discovered and self-reported by Optus. Already there appears to be some finger-pointing between Optus and Census, who run white pages. In a statement, Optus claim up to 40 of of the 50,000 affected customers already had their details published. Census returned fire, noting that this was strictly an Optus issue. The legal firm handling the class action, Morris Blackburn, is requesting anyone who believes they were affected by this to contact them to discuss their options moving forward. Is there a list somewhere I can see if I was affected by this? Or... <laughs> oh, you'd be an Optus customer. <laughs> no, but <clears throat> I'm just curious. I just want to get my hands on the list. That's all. And some money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, I'll sign up to Optus if it helps. <laughs> <laughs> can you accidentally leak it now so I can join the class action lawsuit and but get I mean, my $3.25 it's going to be left after lawyer fees? Is it uh, op- 
Optus or Optus, like, is it purely Optus or is it like, um, I don't know, one of the, you know, like... Singapore Telecom? No, no, is it like um, Boost or whoever, you know, people that use their network? Oh, right. It said Optus, yeah. Yeah, I'm wondering if it's just, like, literally just Optus or if it's a affiliate to that, yeah. Probably not because they don't really, like, if you're using a product of somebody else, you can't really ring Optus and get, they don't know who you are. So they're probably, yeah. Yeah, it's probably just Optus. So, um, all right, another one on, it's been an internet heavy show tonight, but anyway, let's do another one because why not? Aussie Broadband, because we all know and love Aussie Broadband. Yay! Um, is rolling out its own fibre to the NBN POIs. Point of interest. Mm. Begins work on a 20k dark fibre loop in Melbourne. Aussie Broadband has started to work on its own dark fibre network that will ultimately connect over 75 NBN points of interconnect and 24 data centres across Australia. Managing Director Philip Britt said the construction on Stage 1 is underway, which comprises of a 20k fibre loop around Melbourne CBD and Port Melbourne worth $1.8 million. The purpose of this project is to transition our connectivity to NBN point of interest to our own fiber point of... The purpose of this project is to transition our own connectivity to NBN POIs onto our own fiber network, Britt said in a statement. Uh, this will provide additional benefits such as faster capacity upgrades, improved redundancy, and the opportunity to develop new products. In addition to connecting this exhibition in Port of Melbourne... Um, the Melbourne Loop will also pick up key data centres including Interactive, Next DMC, M1, Equinex ME1 and two data centres in the five, at 530 Collins Street. <coughs> the Melbourne Loop is expected to be completed by the end of July 2020. Um, Brits and Whirlpool, the timing of future phases of the construction is still being worked through. We plan to build a fully diverse route to over 75 Points and 24 key data centers across Australia. The project is being built using 720 core optic fiber manufactured in Australia by Priestman. That sounds pretty cool. It is very cool. Save a lot of money on appearing costs and stuff, and they can cache a lot of that locally too. It basically, Aussie Broadband is turning into our Google in terms of Google basically did the same thing in the States. They went and got all the dark fiber and turned it on effectively. It's the same sort yeah. of things happening here. They they're gone, you know, laying the cable and and everything, and um, it's going to be great. Do your, do your own network and save some money and make things faster and better for your customers. Well, I mean, it makes sense, really. It, I mean, there's no law to say Telstra is the only one who can own the infrastructure. TPG should do it. <laughs> they own every other. No, they should not in this country. They don't. they borged all of these other companies after they got IINet. So they might as well do their own one. Yeah, but they've run out of customers because everyone's left. Well, <laughs> there is that. <laughs> if they still had customers... Well, they, we know they're not going to Dodo or something like that, obviously. If they still had customers, they'd probably do that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, but... It was like once 3 took over and then uh, Orange took over 3, it was like, that was it. It was just like Vodafone took over their cl- clients. Yep. It's like not nobody... Not many people transitioned to Vodafone for very long. They went there and went, "Oh, we're not here anymore. Hang on, let's um, let's leave and go to somebody else." (laughs) (laughs) So, the same sort of principle, I think. But um, it's going to be good. Look, I think I absolutely. I mean, I've been with Aussie Broadband for for a while, and I know a lot of. I know you're pretty sure you're with them, and I know a lot of people are with them, and I don't know anybody who's very very few people who have had any trouble at all. 
and of those issues that have had, they've been resolved incredibly quickly. Um, yeah. And they go above and beyond. Like we use them at work, and we got our phone system and everything with them as well. And like you literally, even at the moment with you know with the havoc that's been played on networks, you pick up the phone and ring them, and they'll go. How long? Our wait time's longer than five minutes. We'll call you back. And usually yeah. within ten minutes, they'll call you back and they'll solve the problem. Very, very rarely. And that app is you brilliant. Know. You can reset your own network ports oh, and so change plans with a touch and away you go and stuff like this. You, can you hardly even need to call them, but if you do, they're there. Yeah, well, we're on a commercial one, so the app doesn't work for that. So oh, okay. we've got to call them. But the thing is, like, we have multiple phone diversions set up, so we can dial star hash number and to somebody's mobile and transfer it to that. But then we're like, that wasn't that wasn't working properly. So we rang them up and said, hey, can you fix it up? So now we've got our own dedicated lines to each to our own mobiles. We can yep. transfer calls and stuff. And then we can actually have that set up so that it only operates between eight and five. And then after that, it will divert back to the office. And like all this stuff we're setting up, and like the, it's just pick up the phone, ask them for a question. 10 seconds later, it's done. It's absolutely amazing. Um, so I have full confidence that when they roll out their version of the NBN, which will be, you know, someone in the chat. What it, the NBN should have been in the first place, you mean? Vicus Corrala in the chat said NBN 2.0. I think it's well above that. I think they're up to like version five already. They're going to be so far ahead of NBN. It's not even funny. Yeah. So um, it's going to be great. I mean, obviously it takes time. Um, but yeah. the thing is they've managed to do half of Victoria in what? six months so <laughs> you know it, it takes time but apparently not that much time no so <laughs> yeah uh what else you got well i had this story about the cloud act but it's gone now so i've got nothing <laughs> okay well an australian bank wants to spray disinfectant from drones in schools and aged care this mm. is fine no reason to have a dystopian outlook no um so basically, I don't know which bank it would be, but I can't tell by that picture at all. <laughs> um, Commonwealth. Yeah, that's it. Uh, the next family dinner with my—I love the way the story is written. The next family dinner with my with my hypothet, hypothetic crazy uncle Charlie is going to be a lot more interesting with one of Australia's largest companies deciding to enter the insane world of chemtrails. In response to the coronavirus pandemic sweeping the planet, Westpac has decided that drones it uses with Little Ripper Group to spot crocodiles in Queensland and to help prevent people drowning in the ocean can be used instead to drown playgrounds with disinfectant. Though clever innovation, Westpac Little Ripper lifesavers can help stop the spread of COVID-19. Our fleet of specialised drones will be able to spray environmentally friendly disinfectant to ensure public... Isn't all disinfectant? Right? Um, to our public remain space. The bank tweeted on Thursday, help when it matters. Okay, so I'm not going to read the rest of the story because it's absolutely stupid because what they're going to basically do is they're going to spray disinfectant in a UV sterilised environment just in case you don't understand, basically, the UV from the sun kills germs. Yeah. They're then going to spray something that kills germs onto an area that has already kills the germs. Yeah. Sounds like a good yeah, idea. Seems fine. They'll make them double dead. <laughs> There's a beach, was it in Spain or something I quickly saw earlier? They've sprayed, sprayed the entire beach from one end to the other in in bleach. 
<laughs> Does that mean the sand's white now? I'm guessing so. I can't. <laughs> People are just dumb. People are so wrapped up in the government Kool-Aid that they don't even stop to think about what's happening. You know, like, I, I have to drop Bub off at Kindy today and, oh, you got to make sure he goes and wash his hands. I said, you do realise that for the last 10 minutes walking from the car to here, he's been outside in the sun. So, yeah. I said, so what does the sun do to do? She goes, I don't know. I said, it contains UV. She's like, yeah. I said, what does UV do to, do to germs? Oh, it kills them. I said, so you're asking somebody who's not actively carrying any germs to go and wash their hands so that they can get rid of the germs that they don't have. <laughs> oh, I suppose so. <laughs> you can just tell by the look on her face that it hadn't even crossed her mind at all that that was a thing that they were doing uh. so but yeah so this is I don't know if people have realised but there's a lot of um, rushed legislation that's been put through that effectively now while the pandemic is happening and you'll notice a lot in the building sector and uh, certain towers that are being erected they they have um currently basically said that construction and things that would normally require approval and planning are currently being suspended. So effectively at the moment you can do whatever you want because nothing's being approved or denied. It's just, this is like, it's a free-for-all. So you Ah. can't go outside and you can't do anything, but you don't need approval to do anything. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) So you can do whatever you want inside your own house. Yeah. Which is why there's a... (laughs) In Ipswich, their big claim to fame is, oh, since the floods, we've made sure there's been no building in flood zones and we're not going to approve any and we're not going to allow it to happen. Well, down the road in the big flood zone in the big valley that's down the road that floods every time you get three mil of rain is now a housing estate. That's a fantastic idea. Mm. So, you know. That went so well down on the Gold Coast when all those places got flooded a few years ago, didn't it? Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, All right, a couple of quick ones. Yeah, we like there. a quickie. We've got time for a quickie. There's always time for a quickie. <laughs> Even if there aren't any. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> Google Docs drive sheets slides. Sharing files just got easier and more secure. So basically, I won't read this article too much. It, it's effectively saying that they're updating um, a couple of things. They're updating the ability to share and cooperate, which has always been a little bit clunky. Uh, if you've got multiple people working on the same document. Um, so they're, they're fixing that side of it, so that's that's a little cleaner. And they're updating the uh, the look of it, the GUI, basically. They're making it look more familiar. So it's kind of a more open office-style layout now. Um, and there's a copy link button um, so that you can copy the link to a document. You don't have to necessarily give somebody permission. You can just give them a, a read-only link which you've been able to do previously but it's always been just awkward to do you've had to go into the document select it go share link you know so now it's just there um so there's things like you can do um if you're doing say you've got one administrator working on the document and you've got a couple of people who are allowed access to it but aren't necessarily administrator and they want to change part of it they can delete it or rewrite it or whatever they want to do but it keeps a copy of what they've changed and lets you make the final 
decision on whether or not you want it changed. So they're doing a few things. It's pre- it's pretty cool. It's just it's little tweaks, but it makes it a little bit nicer to use. Um, so yeah, so it's just it's just one of those things. It's not super important, but I think it's just. I mean, I we I don't I use I install Open Office because there's some random spreadsheets and some docx stuff that Google Drive doesn't quite get right. Uh, but for ninety five percent of the stuff I do, I just use Google Drive, like it, the sheets and the docs. Yeah, that, me it, too. That's all know. I ever use. I don't have anything on my computer that can read a docx or the Excel files or any of that. I just upload to Google, read mm. it. If it's just something I need to look at quickly, I delete it straight away, or I stick it in my folder called stuff. Yeah, pretty much. As I said, like there's a couple of a couple of things I use. Uh, open office for and there's open office and there's um oh, the other one i can never remember which is perfectly fine it comes on a lot of android devices as default and it works perfectly fine too but you know there's a couple of reasons i use open office just because they um especially in the excel side of it uh, google has on the odd occasion screwed up a um a csv or something like that doesn't quite always get it right so oh yeah but you know, for the most part, we use that, and it's it's easy too. It's sort of just there. It's on the drive. You know where it is. You haven't got to go finding it. <laughs> it's one I thing. I did I'll... find another story. Mm-hmm. It's linked in the show notes. Which would be fine if I had access to the show notes. <laughs> Have you been opening all the articles? You've just been googling for all the articles I've been talking about. Yeah. I put links in there so that you can click on them quickly. The, the problem is with the show notes is that I. It disappears out of my... Um, Didn't yeah. you just say it's really easy to share documents? We just had this whole segment about that. No, no. It's something specifically with my Google Docs. It doesn't like... Um, and I know why. It's because I've got so much crap in there. But if I yeah. haven't accessed a document for a couple of weeks and I go to find it, it just doesn't want to know about um, it. Um, uh, it. It's not a... It, it's a it's a me problem. I put a, <laughs> I put a, a bookmark for it because hey I'll there's an idea i could do that that'd probably work quite well <laughs> what even is technology uh, libra know. office thank you because yeah libra <laughs> office was the other one i was thinking of yeah i was gonna say star office but i knew you didn't mean that one star office wow wow <laughs> that was that like that was like that's a flash oracle yeah i was gonna say that's that's is that even around mm. anymore Hang on, I'll look that up while you're doing your story. <laughs> a fleet of robots on wheels that deliver shopping in the English town of Milton Keynes have seen their popularity surge as residents are stuck indoors due to the coronavirus lockdown. The robots, which come up roughly to an adult's knee height and look like smooth white plastic boxes mounted on six black wheels, are a familiar sight in the town where they've been delivering groceries for over two years. But since the government imposed strict social distancing measures on March 23, the devices have been busier than ever, delivering for free to NHS staff and facing increased demand from the general public. Right now, we're offering free delivery to all NHS workers within the community. We want to make life a little bit easier for these people in these very, very stressful times, said Henry Harris Burland of Starship, the company that makes the robots. Lots of them are doing 80-hour works and they don't have time to go to the local grocery store, so they use our robots for the shopping. We're honoured that we can be part of the solution. The robots have what looks like an antenna topped with a small red flag to make it easier to spot them as they do their rounds. They're big enough to hold several bags of shopping as well as a pack of bottles. Starship has doubled its fleet of delivery robots in Milton Keynes to 70 in the past three weeks. 
Harris Berlin said they completed 100,000 autonomous deliveries around town. Lots of the residents have been reaching out to us online asking us to deliver to their neighbourhood. We've been doing everything we can as quickly as possible to expand this service to more people, especially at this really important time. How do you like that idea? Robots. Yeah. I mean, they're talking about the US Domino's using them to deliver pizzas, smaller ones, obviously, but these ones going been going 100,000 deliveries already over the last few years. And These are probably safer than the whole drone delivery thing. Yeah. There's, there's less, I mean, although there is a, these things are GPS tracked and stuff and they've got like alarm systems if anybody tries to get into them. So they're pretty secure and yeah, they... In the US, they'd have their own guns. Yeah, that's it. Like the ED-209, you have 20 <laughs> seconds to comply. <laughs> the, um... Yeah, look, uh, they've... I've, that's, wow, I'll tell you, I'm so tired. The robot thing, I think, is not a bad idea, especially with the, um... You know, I'm not a huge fan of the concept of a drone. But, I mean, having said that, if you've watched the intro to uh, Ready Player One, I mean... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. They blow up your apartment block. Is that the bit you're talking about? No, no, the intro. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, the part before that where they deliver pizza. Um, yeah. I, I, I can't see drones being practical for the most part. There's way, way, way too many reasons why basically but yeah a robot like that yeah absolutely i think and especially in a smaller town where there's not that much traffic in the first place and there's even less at the moment i think is is perfect you know what they should have a secure um storage place in your front yard maybe at the side gate or something the robot can come up offload your groceries and it leaves and the security closes the door and locks your groceries in there and like a cooler if it needs it it can go off and it can drop it off at any time. It needs to be like a, like a little mini semi-trailer where it just backs yeah. the trailer in and unhitches and drives off. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. It picks that, up, picks up picks the, up the old, old one. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the dri- it drives in, hooks up, picks up the old one, turns around, backs in, drops a new one off. and drops Like you swap off. and go barbecue <laughs> gas bottles. Yeah. Only instead of you going there to swap your bottles, it comes to you, delivers the new one, takes the old one away. That's it. I'm, I'm, Man, we got to get onto this. All right, so if there's anybody listening who's a robot developer, software engineer, hardware engineer, uh, I, I got the battery part. Can make part. refrigeration systems. I can do the battery part. That's fine. I got that sorted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you have a little solar panels on the top. Keep yeah, your fridge going all day. Very limited success with that. But yeah, oh. um, just quickly be wary of a new Android mobile malware. Uh, it's targeting banks and financial services it's called EventBot. um it's just spreads as they always do through people not paying attention to what apps are installing and what emails are opening but basically it combines the trojan and information stealer capable of uh, filtering user financial application data as well as conducting covert spying on victims um it's yeah it's they're slightly concerned just because it's generally undetectable like it doesn't do anything that would alert you to its presence doesn't yep. slow the phone down doesn't add extra battery life anything like that so uh you know that sort of stuff but just be wary of what you're doing basically google in i believe uh august i think i read correctly is doing a massive sweep of their of their apps and they're going to go through and delete anything that's either been inactive or has a heap of negative feedback or just doesn't look right yeah um but don't 
you know, as good as the App Store is, same as the, the iTunes Store, it's great, but stuff can still get through. Yeah. Uh, and just quickly, Google Meet is a third of the size of Zoom and daily active users, but the search giant has a plan. Google is making Meet's a video conferencing software via G Suite, free and available to everybody. The move comes as Google Meet has surged amid the move to remote work. To, uh, Zoom has 300 million daily, Google Meet has 100 million, and Microsoft Teams has 44 million. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, this Google Meet is the next step up from uh, Hangouts. Um, it's supposed to be better quality, higher resolution, better audio, stuff like that. So, currently free for multiple users, uh, and then there's a paid tier and whatever. Um, the and free... who else has got something new like that? No, oh, everybody. Facebook. Oh, uh, yeah, I heard about that. Facebook launched Messenger Rooms, which boosts its maximum number of participants per video call from 8 to 50. The upgrade could help Facebook keep pace with Zoom, which supports video meetings of up to 100 on its free tier. So Yeah, but Facebook video quality is garbage. Yeah. Even now, and they're going to put more people on the same bandwidth? Nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, okay, if you, if you want to meet up with your family and friends and stuff, yeah, fine. It's it's fine for that. Absolutely not a problem. It's easy. Everybody's got Facebook done. No dramas at all. But for people who actually want to use it in productivity, not not going to no. be suitable. And I think WhatsApp is increasing the number of people in their video calls as well. Once again, same thing though. It's just not a sustainable platform. Isn't that going to be like mobile only though? WhatsApp, I don't. It think is mobile only. Yeah. So um, you're going to get your little mobile phone. Hi, boss. How you doing today? Well, Good, thanks. Turns out, like, 30 or 40% of Zoom users use their mobile. Yeah, and they take it to the loo. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, using a mobile for that sort of stuff isn't um, unheard of, really. They probably have it a lot in um, China and stuff. A lot of those places use WhatsApp like crazy. They do. They use, that's why I have WhatsApp on my phone, because one of our reps will buy our batteries from... Um, they really can only use WhatsApp. They, they don't have a lot of options. Um, so we use WhatsApp to communicate with them quite often. Yep. So, but, um, alrighty. Well, I think that's probably about good. Hey, look, it's a short show. It's only, it's only about an hour and ten. That's a short show for ah, us. Ah, man, what's <laughs> going on? Thanks for listening to the Aussie Tech Heads show broadcast weekly. We can be found at facebook.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Twitter.com slash Aussie Tech Heads and YouTube.com slash Aussie Tech Heads. Email us Glenn, Will or Warlock at AussieTechHeads.com.au. You can hear Aussie Tech Heads on AussieTechRadio.com. 24-7 back-to-back play of some of the best tech-related shows from around Australia and New Zealand. New shows are added each Friday. Thanks for listening and watching, everyone. Subscribe, smash that button, <laughs> hit the bell. See you later. <laughs>